Good morning. Well, great to see you again. Thank you very much for uh, the invitation to come back and uh, share with you. Um, it's interesting that uh, we've already been uh, thinking about Colossians chapter 1 and completely without any coordination. Um, I'm actually also in Colossians chapter 1, um, a little bit earlier in the, in the chapter. So I want to read a few verses with you from Colossians 1 and uh, read verses 3 uh, through to 8. And uh, I'm reading in the, the NIV. Now, is this actually working? Yeah. It's a bit high. Can I... <laughs> If I do this, will I break it? Just as blocking my view of you. And obviously you wouldn't want that. <laughs> so, Colossians 1, uh, verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister in Christ our, <clears throat> on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. I don't know how many of you remember uh, what I was speaking on the last time I was here. and I'm not going to press this one too far for two reasons. One, I don't want to embarrass you. And secondly, I don't want to depress me. Um, but it was, the questions I came with the last time with, was, who do you think you are? Uh, I did have a conversation this morning. At least one person here remembered that. Um, who do you think you are? And what do you think you're doing here? And um, I suppose it's the second of those questions that I kind of want to come back to. It's one thing to know in a, who we are as those who have been chosen and called. Um, you, you maybe remember we were in uh, 1 Peter uh, chapter 2. It talks about uh, being... Uh, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own special possession. And it's good to understand that that's who we are, but it's a further question to say, well, what is it that we're actually uh, here for? What are we here uh, to, to do? And um, there are plenty of people out there who want to tell us what they think they are doing um, 
and uh, they come up with sort of clever little uh, strap lines to explain what it is that they're about. And I'm sure you, you'll you very instantly recognise some of these. In fact, I might even test you on them. Um, so, uh, strap line, who, who says, just do it? Nike, Nike well done. Um, who says, because you're worth it? Well, well done. <laughs> You can see he uses it. <laughs> Every little helps. Tesco, yeah, well done, well done. I should have had this two sides here. And two. Uh, it's finger looking good. KFC. KFC, well done. Um, and there's loads of them. People who kind of want to tell you what they're about and they've, they've tried to boil the essence of that down to sort of one... Uh, very sort of simple statement. Um, one that I like actually from the kind of Christian mission world is Christian Aid. Anybody happen to know what the Christian Aid slogan is? We believe, we believe in life before death. See, I think that's a clever one. We believe in life before death. Um, another one is changing Europe together. Anybody recognize changing Europe together? You do. And how come you recognize it? Yes, because this is our personal slogan. (laughs) Okay. So um, this all this all seems still seems a little bit pretentious and pompous to me, but here I am, nevertheless. Uh, So we have a prayer card. Um, I'm still not totally comfortable with giving photographs of myself out to people. but it's, apparently it's what we do. And uh, somebody said you need something you know, to explain what it is that you and Miriam do. And uh, so Miriam and I are involved in leadership in European Christian Mission. Um, and I go to meetings and sit in committees and uh, talk to people and hopefully in, encourage them. And uh, help them to be empowered into what 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 they're doing. I suppose my role, I, and for Miriam as well, very much as facilitators uh, of what others do. Honestly, it's not easy to explain exactly what it is that we do. So when it came to coming up with this sort of a nice crisp statement, what is it that you do? we came up with changing Europe together. Now, if you think it's pretentious handing out photographs of yourself, handing out photographs of yourself and then saying, oh, and our catchphrase is changing Europe together, is definitely getting out there, moving from the pretentious to the pompous. Um, so you may think, are you what changing Europe together? That's our... Uh, our branding, our, our catchphrase. I want to challenge you to think about your life. It's not easy to boil these things down to a very, a very simple statement. But if you were to boil what you're here for, 
down, what would it be? As we come to Colossians uh, chapter 1, the phrase that I particularly want to draw your attention to is in verse 6. And uh, Paul says, almost kind of in, in the middle of a big long sentence, almost in parentheses and brackets, he says, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world. That's a great, that's a great verse for, for a missionary. The gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world. And uh, we're just like the, the people in, in, in Colossae. We have been impacted, I hope, by the gospel. And uh, as I said, this, this verse, this phrase, comes in the middle of a big long sentence, one of those great uh, Apostle Paul sentences where you can say, kind of see it's a whole stream of thought coming out. And he starts in verse 3 and he says, um, we always give thanks for you. And, oh, right, we give thanks for you because of your faith and your love. And, uh, oh, your faith and your love, that comes from the hope that you have in the eternal inheritance. And that hope that you, oh, that comes from the fact that you've heard the gospel. And the gospel has, has come to you. And, oh, that gospel, it, it's changing you. And it's not just changing you. It's changing the whole world. And it's bearing fruit and it's growing. And all of that's happening because of the grace of God. And that came to you through Epaphras. So you can see this whole stream of thought that's coming um, from Paul. And in the middle of it you have this little statement about the gospel changing the world. The gospel is changing the world. So whenever we say that we are about changing Europe, we work with European Christian Mission, that feels like the area that, that God has given us. But Paul here is saying, the gospel has come, it is changing you, if you're a believer, and it is going to change the world. So this gospel, um, this is the, the agent of change, the, the, the gospel. And I want to look just briefly at its content, its intent and its extent. And whether you remember that or not, it doesn't really matter, but it helps me. Um, the content. Now, where do you start with a question like that? What's the content uh, of the gospel? What is the gospel all about? Well, let's give it the content that, uh, that uh, Paul uses here. And actually answering the question 
you know, what is the gospel? It's not as easy a question, even for somebody that's been, you know, preaching for a number of years. It's not as, as easy a question as you, you would think. Because in the scriptures, you know, the, even the scriptures come at that question from, from different angles. But Paul here, he's been given, giving thanks for these Colossians. Um, because of their, go back to verse 5, their faith and love that springs from the hope stored up in heaven. Faith and love and hope. Again, uh, a trilogy, a triad that turns up a lot uh, with Paul. Probably the best known one is in uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Um, and these three remain, faith, hope and love, but the greatest of these is love. But in many other uh, places in, in Paul's writings, as well. Faith in Jesus Christ, love for one another, and hope in the inheritance that awaits us. That's what the the content of the gospel. And then at the end of verse six, um, it says that the the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it, has, as it has been doing among you since the day you heard and truly understood God's grace. Or some of the other versions says, you understood God's grace in all its truth. Understanding God's grace in all its truth. The gospel, it's about grace. And again, that's, that's not an easy one to unpack. Even for some here who have been Christians for years, I reckon that we're all still learning about grace. It's such a countercultural thing. I was reading this week the story of, of Naaman uh, in 2 Kings chapter 2, I think, or maybe 3. Naaman was a, a general in the uh, Assyrian army, and he had leprosy. And they had taken captive a, an Israelite girl um, and she was a servant to Naaman's wife and she said to Naaman's wife why doesn't the master uh, go and see the prophet in Israel that was uh, uh, Elisha and he could, cure, he could cure him so Naaman gathers up all of these gifts goes to the king of, uh, of Israel. The king of Israel thinks he's trying to set a trap for me so that, we can, they're, they're go so that they have an excuse to start a war. Um, but Elisha turns up and says, oh, send them, send them to me. So Naaman turns up 
all this gold and silver and changes of clothing and says, I'll give you all of these if you, you heal me. And Elisha says, go and bathe seven times in the Jordan. And Naaman's offended. You're going to want me to go and bathe in that dirty old river? He says, I thought that you would come out and you'd raise your hand to your God and you'd call down power and I would be healed. So, and as the story unfolds in Naaman's servants um, say, well, look, if he'd asked you to go and do some great thing, would you not have done it? If you had had to work to get your uh, self healed, would you not have done it? And all you've been, you've been asked to do this simple thing, why don't you, you try it? So he goes and he, he bathes in the Jordan, and of course he's, he's healed. Even then he comes back, and he still tries to give the stuff to uh, Elisha. Uh, Elisha and um, it's a really interesting story if you unpack it in terms of this man's understanding of grace because he obviously starts with no concept of grace no concept that God would do something for nothing no concept that you could receive something from the deity for nothing. His worldview was the gods have to be paid off. You have to do something for them to get something back. And so he came with his he came with his gifts. And then he thought you have to do some great act. Sacrifice something, appease the gods they'll maybe intervene on your behalf. He also thought you have to have um, a very a powerful agent, a, a prophet or a, a, a priest to intervene. This is why he's, when, when he arrived initially with, with Elisha, Elisha didn't even come and see him. And he was offended that Elisha hadn't even bothered to come out to see him. He had sent his messenger out. I wonder what our expectations still of the gospel are. How much do we expect to pay? What do we think God is expecting for us, from us? How do we have to buy buy God off so that God will give us what we want. And all the way through this story, it seems to me that what is happening to Naaman is he's been humbled. He's been brought down. Not least that in the first place, it was a slave girl from the enemy uh, that told him where, to, where he could get help. Then he went to the king, and the king wasn't in, you know, sent him off to this prophet who lived in some obscure place. Then he went to the prophet, and the prophet didn't even come out and see him. And then he had to go and bathe in the dirty river. But by the end of it, not only is he cleansed, but he is converted. And he says, he, he's, 
He's starting to think through the implications of, of worshipping God. Now, there's some indications that he had some, still some way to go. But he's starting to apply it to real life. And he's asking real life questions. And one of the interesting questions he asks to Elisha, he says, Elisha, I'm a, I have to accompany the, the king. And when the king goes to worship at the, uh, at the altar of his god, I have to go with him. And when he kneels down, I have to kneel down. Will God forgive me for that? And Elisha says, go in peace. Now, I'm not here to unpack all of what that means, but the point is, he's, he's beginning to work, work out in his mind, what does it mean to live for God? In real life, in his pagan, uh, in his pagan society. And he's beginning to realize that he's not the one in charge. He's beginning to realize what grace is. He has been humbled. He hasn't been able to pay. He can't pay for it. He doesn't pay for it. He has to receive it. We have to understand grace. What is this gospel that is changing us, that is changing the world? It's all about grace. So, when you think about your strap line, maybe you want to think about working grace into it somewhere. Just a thought. That's the, the content. What's the intent? What is grace, this gospel of grace, uh, seeking to do? Well, it says all over the, the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing. Um, bearing fruit and growing. The gospel is meant to make a change. We're, I hope, consider ourselves a gospel community. That means this gospel of grace ought to make a change. If we believe in a gospel of grace, we ought then to be gracious. Paul has described the, the gospel in terms of faith, love and hope. And these are all, these are all very much words of, of action. They're not just vague, out there concepts. You know, faith demands acting in a different way than if you don't have faith in Jesus. Um, some people of my generation might remember Don Francisco as a singer, and he had a song which was entitled, Love is not a feeling, 
it's an act of the will. Love is not a feeling, it's an act of the will. And that's absolutely true. We're too inclined to put love as a kind of fuzzy feeling um, type of uh, type of emotion. But actually when, when Paul comes to describe love, he describes it in, in terms of actions. You know, love is patient, love is kind, love does not seek its own, etc., etc. Love is only seen in action. And the fruit of the Spirit, the fruits of the Spirit are only uh, seen in, in action. Um, if we turn to uh, Galatians, uh, Galatians 5, and the, the list there of, uh, of the fruit of the Spirit, uh, 5 verse 22. The fruit of the Spirit, it's love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The intent of the, the intent of the gospel is that it brings, brings change and brings this sort of change in, in our lives. And this change is not always comfortable. If we, I want to take you to uh, a couple of verses in Luke chapter 12. And I'm going to read from, uh, from the message. Luke chapter 12 and verse 49. And again, Jesus describing what he, what his mission was, what uh, the, what he was seeking to do in the world. He says, "I've come to start a fire on the earth. How I wish I were blazing! It were blazing right now. I've come to change everything, turn everything right side up." How I long for it to be finished. Do you think I have come to smooth things over and make everything nice? Not so. I've come to disrupt and to confront. So, we come with a message of faith and of love and of hope and a message of the gospel of grace. But I wouldn't want you to think that it's not a message that isn't going to turn things. Sometimes we say upside down. It's interesting. Uh, the translator here says to turn things right side up. And Jesus says, I've come to start a fire. Do we feel like that? Are you here to start a fire in Tandragay? Are we looking to actually make a difference, to make a change? 
becoming to smooth things over. Jesus says, I'm not. I've come to confront and come to disrupt. And there are times when bringing the gospel will, it challenges people, it challenges us about the sin in our lives. And if it's not doing that, you've missed something. Because the gospel will challenge you. It will change you. And let's face it, change is not always comfortable. I haven't come to make everything nice, Jesus says. He has come to bring change. That's the intent of this gospel. And what's the extent? Going back to um, to Colossians again. It says all over the world, worldwide, it's it's universal in its impact. But the context actually is this gospel is changing the whole world just like it is changing you. So the gospel is both personal and it's universal. It needs to begin its impact with with you. It has to be something personal before it can be something universal. We have to be being changed by the gospel so that we can change the world through the gospel. I don't think that's too big an ambition, that we want to change the world, is it? That's what Jesus wanted to to do. And that's whose side we're on. And if you want to change the world, where do you begin? Well, it begins in our own lives. It begins in our own hearts. It begins at home. It begins living a more gracious, graceful life um, at home with your, with your spouse, with your children. And showing grace in the, in the church fellowship. But yes, it's not just personal, it's also, it's universal. It's a, uh, it's a worldwide phenomenon. And it's good to look out sometimes. You know, as uh, Northern Ireland Christians, we can kind of look around us and be a bit discouraged, maybe about what is happening in society or even what's happening uh, in in church life, we can sometimes see people drifting away from uh, from church. And actually, the reality is that Europe is actually an exception to the rest of the world in terms of the growth of the Christian church. Statistics would suggest that at best, the Christian church in Europe. Is, 
is holding at its own. But there are some notable exceptions there as well. But if you look across, um, across the world, there are many examples of how the gospel is growing and has grown very rapidly. Nepal. In 1960, there were reckoned to be 25 known Nepalese Christians. 25. By 1985, that had grown to 25,000. By 1995, it was 50,000. And now, nobody knows. But I do know that Peter Crawford, who's an ECM missionary in Portugal, who, and who I think is coming to speak to you next month, helps with a Nepalese church that meets in Lisbon, in Portugal. There are Nepalese, uh, there's a Nepalese group that meets in Northern Ireland. There are Nepalese believers now all over the world. Indonesia. Operation World says one of the most significant movements of Christianity in history has been accelerating in this land over this past 30 years. Many of them into Muslim, many of those um, revivals into Muslim communities. Today in, in Iran and among the Iranian diaspora, the, the Iranian community all over the world, God is moving. I was talking to one of uh, my, my colleagues, uh, uh, Vimal, who works with refugees in Germany. And uh, last couple of weekends ago, he organized a, um, a theology seminar. It was really... A, a, a discipleship and the beginnings of uh, sort of leadership development and he had invited this group of Iranians along um, and they actually invited some of the group were people who were very very new to the gospel and they came along uh, they ended up with a group of about 30 I think about 15 of them were Iranians and by the end of the weekend uh, two of that group that had been invited along actually committed their lives uh, to Christ because of that, that, in, that engagement and that discipleship engagement. And that's a, not an unusual experience. There's now a big Iranian uh, movement. There's an Iranian church meeting in Dublin. Never mind what's happening in Iran itself so just say to you look up sometimes don't be discouraged God's God's at work he's even at work in Northern Ireland if you look around you might even find that he's at work in Tandragee because the gospel of grace it bears fruit and it is growing. It's even at work in Europe. 
And through our ministry with ECM, we have the, the joy of seeing that. It's, it's bearing fruit and it's changing lives. One quick example. So a couple of weeks ago, I went out to visit um, the ECM team in Albania. And when I arrived there, I met up with uh, Joyce and Ali Reeve. So Joyce is from Australia, but um, married uh, a girl from Northern Ireland, from Hollywood. Um, she's, a, she's a doctor. He's um, a, a social worker. And so I got there and I, I met up with them. And they said, you wouldn't believe the couple of days that we have had. On so this was Monday night. So it's on Friday. The girl that helps us with our Albanian rang me and said, "I've got a job in France. I'm going to France tomorrow." So Ali said, "Okay, good to hear you've because uh, she'd been she'd been trying to find work outside Albania. Most people's um, ambition from Albania is to get out of Albania." Um, glad to hear you have this opportunity. Could we meet up just to say goodbye? So she met on Saturday morning before this girl went to get on the, the plane and she gave her a Bible. So that was okay. She headed off to France. On Sunday, she got a text um, from this uh, girl which said, I'm in trouble. These men do not have good intentions for me. She had got herself into a human trafficking ring, basically. It was all a scam. She got to the city in France that she was going to and obviously had, by pre-arrangement, had been picked up. I'm not going into any more details, but it is exactly what you think it is. So this girl was texting, still had her phone, was texting Ali saying, I'm in trouble. Ali started to, went out onto the network. They had been to Bible College and uh, a missionary Bible College in Australia. Sent out a message and said, "Somebody's in trouble in this city in France. Does anybody know anybody working working there?" So messages came back. Yes, we know an Australian couple who are working among students in the city. Here's their contact details. Ali got in contact with them. They said, okay, we'll go and see what we can find out. Went to the address that had been given. The address didn't exist. And this girl had no idea where she was. So this Australian couple, they mobilized their friends and um, they, they started to, to look for this Albanian girl. Somehow or other, the Albanian girl managed to escape from the house, got in contact with the Australian couple um, and by Monday night when I had got to Albania um, they'd just heard that she was safe with the, the Australian missionary couple. Now, all over the world this gospel is bearing fruit and growing. This gospel made an impact on that girl's life. 
rescued her from a terrible situation. And you know the other interesting thing? Whenever she was able to, to contact Ali again, she said, you know, over these last couple of days, I haven't been able to do anything. Uh, I, I've been shut up. And the only thing that I had with me was the Bible that you gave me. So this girl's coming from a, a Muslim background in, uh, in Albania. And says, and I've been reading the Bible. And says, and there's such, there's such comfort there. She says, I'm really looking forward, whenever I get back to Albania, being able to study the Bible with you. And it's going to be great. We're going to be able to pray together. Just one example. This gospel, it's changing lives and, and growing. So what about you? And what about here? What can we do to fulfill what Jesus was saying, light the fire? What can we do to get, get the fire to get the fire lit? I don't know everybody here. Maybe for some of you, actually the first step is that you need the gospel needs to change you. Maybe the first step is that you need to, like these people in Colossae, when it talks about from the first day that you understood the grace, the true nature of the grace of God. Maybe that's where you are. Maybe you're at that point where you need to really understand the true nature of the grace of God. And stop trying to work out what it is that you need to do. And realize that Jesus has already done it. And come to him on those terms. And for those that have had that experience of the grace of God. Probably we need to stop trying to work out what it is we need to do. To... Uh, kind of stay on the right side of God and actually start living like those who have been transformed by this gospel of grace. Living as people of faith. Living as people of hope. Living as people with grace. Don't know if you've come up with a personal strap line yet. I'll leave you that for homework. But I'll leave you with two questions. Are you being changed by the gospel? Are you being, uh, and are you changing the world through the gospel? You may still think that changing Europe together um, and as we un- unpack that a little bit here, it's not Miriam and I changing it together, it's changing it together with God and changing it together with our ECM colleagues and changing it together with those that support us. You may think that, still think that that's a bit of a pompous statement, but I don't think so. In fact, I would say to you, if you're not here to change the world, what are you here for? I think that's what Christ has called us to. Thank you very much and uh, may the Lord bless you as we seek to change the world together.
Amen.